I just I put it on my on my board. You know, I have like this this uh, board of, of flies because each fly that I've hooked, it reminds me of a specific time and and, and the conditions of when I hooked that fish. Um, so yeah, I actually right now I'm staring at that orange heron I tied. You know, I think four years ago. I'll probably never tie another orange heron. You know, unless someone begs me. To. That was Adrian Cortez talking about his steelhead fly hall of fame. We're going to make steelhead fishing easier today by making it harder. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. What is the easiest way to support this show? If you head over to wetflyswing.com slash members and, uh, and buy me a cup of coffee. A cup of coffee is what keeps me going strong, and you can join the Members uh, Society for about uh, about the cup of a, the price of a cup of coffee. So uh, appreciate that in advance. Um, Adrian Cortez is here today to shed light on how he catches winter steelhead using a dry line in the winter. We talk about the best iron to get your fly down, what type of water you should be looking for, plus one of the best resources for tying in hand. It's time to add another challenge for the winner. So without further ado, here is Adrian Cortez. How's it going, Adrian? Very well. Good morning to you, Dave, and thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on here. I, I was... Um, you know, I'm struggling. Well, I, I struggle a little bit thinking because I've been thinking about getting you on for a while. You know, you and Todd Hirano. I mean, there's a number of people out there that, that do some skating and stuff. And funny thing is, is I've done now. I've interviewed Richard Harrington recently, and we talked about skating. So it feels like I think maybe I want to dig a little more into to kind of your dry line. Maybe winter fishing with dry line. So so maybe we'll dig into that. But before we get there, can you just talk about how you first got into fly fishing and then how you brought that into you know everything you're doing around steelhead? Oh yeah. Back to the dark days. Uh, <laughs> actually, the Enlightenment, huh? Um, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was born in the islands and the Philippines. Um, came to the states when I was, I was seven years old, and I was always intrigued by fishing, deer fishing, catching fish. Um, uh, and I guess uh, just growing up, um, you know, I always thought fly fishing was kind of, uh, I don't know, it wasn't for me. It was kind of a wussy rod, you know, and I. <laughs> I was always into big, you know, bass rods or big saltwater sticks. And so I never really was intrigued by fly fishing, although my friend um, tried to get me into it. Um, but it wasn't until I got married um, and my wife and I were doing a camping trip in Yosemite, on the backside of Yosemite. Um, and I had my spinning rod. We were newly married. Uh, we were, it was in the evening and I was really trying to prove my, my manliness by catching trout for dinner. For my wife uh we pulled up drove up to that lake there's no one there is beautiful um beautiful calm serene and then all of a sudden you started seeing bugs hatching and trout rising hundreds of rises and um like any typical young male jumped out of the rig grabbed my spinning rod and tried to show off to my wife uh, <laughs> and try to throw a spinner out there and i couldn't catch a dang trout man <laughs> so okay no i was yeah, I'd, I'd see trout, you know, chase the lure. Um, and my wife, uh, she kind of just giggled at me or made some sort of remark that embarrassed me. Uh, the next day, I decided to go over to the local 
store in town in I think it was a Kmart, um, <laughs> and uh, I bought uh, I bought like a made in China fly fishing outfit with a you know a cheap fly rod and some flies that looked like they came out of uh, I don't know man yeah uh, oh yeah some like yeah, some dry flies they, they look like they kind of like were a dry fly or a, maybe a wet fly you yeah. can tell yeah. Yeah, they were huge and attractive, and uh, that's what got into fly fishing because I couldn't catch uh, the trout. Um, and uh, it's been a fun journey since. Uh, it, I guess, it was a, a for me because I can't catch something. It makes me more, um, I guess, challenged to try and catch it that way. And I don't know why it is in my mindset. If something's too easy, yeah, I get bored. So that's that's how it started. Cool. So that, um, yeah, that gives us a little, little, uh, perspective. And I think, you know, like you said that the challenge, I think that's, that's the, the thing we all joke about it, right? Steelhead fishing, uh, you know, the, sometimes hours and hours of not yeah. catching, you know, and, and it can be challenging. So, um, yeah, I think that's why we're all here and you take it another step further because you also skate and I think you also do some tying in hand which is a, a fly tying challenge uh, but hey before we uh, get into more of that I want to check you know you mentioned the Philippines and it's interesting I, I love you know sometimes digging into some of this stuff because you know myself I, I grew up you know when I was seven and I, I've actually had a daughter now that are six and eight I got two daughters and it's interesting because right they have this perspective but what was your perspective now coming from the Philippines when you were seven what do you remember about coming to this country is there anything um, that rings oh, yeah. a bell. Yeah, you know, uh, there's so many um, sounds and smells and excitement. I mean, you know, living on the islands and then coming over here and you hear about things like McDonald's or yeah. Disneyland, you know, like really nice cars and cold weather. Um, I, I just recall even landing in the airport, the temperature change was significantly different. Um, I remember the first... Uh, a cheeseburger I had at McDonald's. I thought it was huge, and there was no way I could finish it. And in fact, I really like it. Um, but I do remember one thing, Dave. As far as taste, I, I had my first bag of Doritos. Yeah. And I thought that was sublime, man. I thought these things were the the most magical food that as a kid. <laughs> that's right. That's a, yeah. That's, that's a. You know what's cool about that is that it's very similar to me in that I remember the first time my brother I had an older brother who was like ten years older than me or who is you know older and and he brought me to McDonald's to have a cheeseburger my first cheeseburger like way back and it was such a cool thing because my big brother brought me to make you know what I mean it was this funny thing and then also yeah. and also the Doritos just recently my daughters you know they don't get a lot of the, the snacks we try to reduce that but um, I think she uh, my younger daughter had her first Dorito. And she was just like, "Oh my God, this thing is amazing." <laughs> nice. <laughs> so they haven't they haven't, yeah. they haven't changed that much, I guess, over the years. Yeah, and yeah. I I think that kind of translates to I mean, you know, the, as far as fishing, you know, I, I think we're all kind of kids in that way. Whenever we discover something new, you know, or or we hook that fish that we didn't expect to hook, you know, it's it's that excitement. It's like opening up a new bag of food, and you're like, "Man, that's yeah. amazing!" You know, that's it. an enlightened. <laughs> that's it no you're totally you're totally right I, I forget about that too but that's what it comes down to is that we all love you know even though we get older we never feel like you know you don't feel like you're that old you still feel like that kid i, I think most do, do you think most people are like that is that how you feel that even though you're i'm not sure what age you are now but you feel like you're still kind of that kid oh yeah absolutely um you know i'm in my uh, i'm 44 or oh, yeah. something like we're, that i'm the same stop, age yeah stop, oh okay i stopped counting when i was 40 for I know. some reason i was 
disturbed. Man, I'm not I'm that old. Um, but yeah, I think we're all kids in a way. You know, that that as far as fishing is concerned, that connection to a fish, something underwater. I mean, it, it's just kind of a, um, I don't know, a kid-like feeling. You know, you, you start feeling that, that head shake, that, that, uh, that throbbing as a fish is fighting, uh, and then that jump. Um, it's exciting. Not all people are fishermen. I have, you know, I have two daughters as well, Dave. Um, yeah. and one of them, she absolutely does not want anything to do with fishing. Nope. And the other one loves fishing. Um, but she gets excited when a fish is on. So we're all different. But those that are excited about a fish being on, I think we carry that. Well, at least I believe I do carry that all the way to my grave, you know. Yeah. Um, in fact, my buddy uh, Todd and I were just at a, <clears throat> excuse me, a desert river yesterday. And... Um, we were we were thinking about how exciting it is. Uh, we're like, you know, as soon as the recess bells ring, uh, Todd <laughs> brings us up. Like we're kids. We're just out, you know, out in the field playing. Um, yeah. And yeah. I'm in my 40s. He's in his uh, 50s. And so we just have a good time. We're like kids out there in the desert river, you know, uh, having cool. a good time. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Todd's name. I mean, I, I've been doing this, you know, a few years now. And I think your name comes up and then Todd, you guys are always the two names together are there uh, you know i mean how first i guess how is todd are you guys pretty similar in your fishing and i know you guys do a little skating and things like that and are there other people out there that you guys are hanging with that are kind of doing i guess richard we mentioned uh, richard harrington um but it seems like you, yeah. got, you guys got this little crew out there yeah um it, it's fun it's neat uh, you know um you develop friendships and you develop um you know camaraderie with certain people that we all kind of fish the same way with a good group of people um uh, it's, and we get along that way. We, we kind of fish the same way in terms of our, our idea. Uh, but we're not exactly alike. Um, and which is fun. I mean, we can't all be robots. Uh, we give a variety of different thoughts on fishing, uh, fishing the dry fly. Yeah. There's, there's Rick Harrington. There's, um, I don't, I don't know if these guys want their names uh, put sure. out, but there's, you know, Lee, there's Keith, there's Jeremiah, there's, you know, Bucky, there's, it's there's a bunch of guys and every every once in a while we all meet together and have steelhead camp obviously it's a little more difficult during this uh pandemic these yeah. pandemic times so um but you know we, we don't get as close to each other as we used to yeah. <laughs> in terms yeah. of distance. um yeah. but yeah we enjoy each other i i think um the connection with todd um really came about through the internet huh. um i was uh i started steelhead fishing uh just because I lived close to a steelhead river, and I was a trout fisherman. I always thought I was going to be a trout fisherman. I thought it was the most challenging way to fish. Um, you, need, you needed a certain observational prowess to catch trout, you know, match the hat. Yeah. You know, what are they feeding on? Um, but uh, there was a steelhead river um, down the road from me, and uh, I read a few books, like you mentioned, Dave. It's, you know, the fish of a thousand casts, mm -hmm. you know reading about people traveling thousands of miles to a steelhead river only to get a tug or a grab. And then they celebrated so much when they caught one fish. And as a trout fisherman, I thought, these guys are nuts. <laughs> I'm not spending, you know, that inordinate amount of time and money, you know, chasing for a tug. I, you know, I can go over to the Deschutes and, you know, match a hatch and catch a uh, bunch of trout if i wanted to or if they were willing or yeah. go to the metolia someplace beautiful you know even if i don't catch one you know i could uh, enjoy my time um 
However, for some reason, I felt like steelheading called me. I didn't want to be a steelheader. Um, but I went out and bought a rod, and, uh, you know, um, it was a cheap $100 single-hand rod. Um, went over to the river, told my wife. It was late. It was fall. Told my wife, hey, I'm going to go over to the river and, and see if I can do this uh, steelheading thing, you know. Um, first time I went out, I, d- I didn't know how to look at steelhead water. I knew how to look at trout water, but I didn't know anything about steelhead water. But I thought they were just big trout. First time I went out, spent about an hour, and I thought, eh, this is so boring. So I went back home and, and you know, had, had a beer instead. So I went back a, a week later and decided, okay, I'm going to put my time and effort into it. I started tying um, steelhead flies. I was tying with a vice back then. then. And uh, they were... You know, I wasn't following patterns. I was just kind of making my own, you know, creations, and I thought they were pretty. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, but when I look back at them now, they were they were kind of ugly. Oh, they, they were pretty ugly. Yeah. Uh, but I show up on the river. No one's there. I start hiking, you know, a hill, and then I look down and I see something. There's some disturbance on the water, and. Uh, I was curious, and again, it's that curiosity as a kid, as an angler. You know, there's something in the water. What kind of fish is it? What was it? You know, was it, um, you know, a dying fish? Was it um, the kind of uh, quarry that you're after? Um, And then so I walked down to the river, and I looked closer at what it was, and it was a pod of steelhead all sitting behind a rock. Um, I can't tell you, Dave, how many there were, but there were (laughs) – I mean, my eyes were bugging that. I was a little kid again, you know. Yeah. Is this in the fall? <laughs> it's like a, yeah, this was in the fall. So, so like, the, like uh, kind of a, like a October, September, October. Yeah, I think it was late October. Yeah, late October, uh, maybe even November, but I think it was late October. Um, and I just started not knowing how to swing for steelhead. Uh, I just started casting and stripping the fly in in <laughs> front of them my wet fly and you know it was surprising i my line tightened up you know and i thought oh i snagged up a you know a branch yeah. or something i think it was it was on a dry line but it was a heavy you know iron um yeah the fly i tied her on and so i thought maybe i you know i hung up on a branch and obviously the fall you have the you know the wind and the leaves and the, the branches fall in so i thought maybe i snagged you know a branch i started stripping it in and then i felt the head shake nice and yeah i was uh hooked and hooked yeah. to a steelhead and kind of hooked for life i think that day or that afternoon it was about two in the afternoon i hooked seven steelhead um and i landed only two um the the first one that first one that i hooked um it broke me off um while i had it in hand oh. so i got this buck in I grabbed the tail, not ever having landed any trout of that size, of that nature. I thought, okay, I can just, you know, grab the, grab the wrist of the tail, and it's just going to comply with me. And I grabbed that wrist, and I could feel the power mm-hmm. in the tail. But being a novice, I grabbed, felt the power, but I didn't grip any harder. And that thing went ballistic, mm-hmm. um, took off, you know, and I was more worried about my rod. So I grabbed my rod because I didn't want that oh, flying yeah. in the water. And I pretty much lost the fish right there. But fortunately, um, you know, the steelhead gods, as they say, shined down on me and let me 
continue casting and, and catch a couple more. Dang. Um, and that hook. Yeah. So yeah, I'm back home happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I mean that, well, your second trip out, you're getting into seven fish. That's pretty hard to, uh, that's pretty hard to beat, especially early on your first time. Did you, you know, how long did it take you before you got your, uh, you know, you got the smackdown where you were, you, you know, it took you a while to hook into some more fish or did, did you just consistently just start catching fish? Yeah. I wish that was, uh, <laughs> that was the whole thing. Um, yeah. To, to continue, continue steelheading the whole, con- the, the, excuse me, the whole reason I continued steelheading was because I couldn't catch another one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went home, I went home and bragged to my wife, you know, and she's like, uh, you know, she was kind of shocked at how big the fish was. Oh, so uh, it you, was had, a hatch- you had a keeper. Yeah, you had a keeper. Yeah, it was a hatchery fish. So I nice. brought it home. I was excited. And being my first steelhead to hand, I, I let the other one go because I thought, man, these things are so huge. What am I going to do with all this? Yeah. Uh, but I brought this one home and she took a look at it. And I had this like big smirk on my face. And I said, this steelheading is cake. These guys weren't <laughs> even matching the hatch. They were just sitting there and I was throwing anything at them and they were eating it. Wow. You know, and, and all of a sudden I thought I was a, a you know, I, I thought I was an expert on steelheading. Uh, <laughs> but huh. it wasn't until a year and a half later. And I tried hard. Um, it wasn't until a year and a half later that I caught another steelhead. So yep. that year and a half was what cemented uh, my steelheading <laughs> for That's the it. rest of my current life <laughs> that's it that's it no it's that's a cool story so well you, let's just take it to that you know talking about you know that's back in your first steelhead and now yeah. you kind of have the way you do it can you talk about how you uh you know you fish i mean we're kind of right in the middle or i guess we're kind of between summer winter you know there's still some fish around I mean, how do you what would you like would you rather talk, love to talk more about summer steelhead or winter steelhead i you know i enjoy talking about both Dave. Yeah. um i but I do give the nod to summer steelhead uh, just because there's, you know, the, the dry fly. The chances of a dry fly winter steelhead is slim and none, you do know, you do condition. That? Do you do that quite a bit? Yeah. I do it enough. Uh, I don't do it with as much gusto as summer steelhead dry fly fishing just because the, your, the conditions are a little more different, you know. I keep hearing, I think, is it Todd or who's the person that pretty much is exclusively uh, skating uh, flies in the winter? Oh, yeah, Todd. Todd is probably, Todd's my, uh, Todd's my um, I, I don't know, my my hero. He kind of inspires me. Todd uh, Todd will fish, uh, you know, um, dry line um, heavy irons in the winter. And he'd do it, he used to do it more regularly. But over the course of the last few years, he just has more fun fishing dry flies. And he will do it all winter long. I mean, even if conditions are tough, um, and he's risen winter steelhead uh, on the dry fly. I mean, a lot of people have in the past. I shouldn't say a lot. Some people have yeah. in the past, but I don't think with as much energy and as much um, aspirations as Todd. Todd is a he, he's a different. Yeah, he's got, he's got a different uh, mindset, and uh, you know that's sometimes what it takes. I don't have that mindset as far as Todd <laughs> with with dry fly fishing yeah. I, i've done it enough um i've been i've raised a few um i don't think i've landed one but i've raised a few um steelhead on dry flies winter that is but summer is really summer and fall are, they're really you know my i guess I, I really enjoy it it's my favorite time of year for steelhead well 
and I guess just thinking about that, I guess if we are thinking going into the winter, so you do use a little bit lighter. I mean, can you talk about that, how you typically fish? If you're not fishing dries in the winter, are you fishing kind of lighter lines? Are you still fishing wet flies? Are you, are yeah. you sinking down? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, you know, I, I met Todd, um, and, and, uh, online and he was, uh, he had this, uh, this post on a, on a bulletin board, internet bulletin board about does, is anyone fishing dry line for winter? Hmm. And this was back, this was years ago. And again, I mentioned, I have that weird thing that I was catching fish after I, I figured out what steelhead were doing. I start. I was using sink tips. I was using mole leeches. I was using intruders. I was using tube flies and I was getting pretty regular at catching winter steelhead. You know, it's, mm-hmm. they're not that, they're not that bright a fish. Um, you just got to put it in front of them. Um, but I didn't want it to get boring and you know, um, it's, you know, it's not, it's different I, for my brain. So when, I, when Todd posted, um, that thread about is anyone fishing for winter steelhead on a dry line, all, uh, all the questions, uh, kind of popped up into my head again. What is this guy talking about winter dry line? And, um, I was intrigued, and I started corresponding with Todd. And Todd has uh, gotten his inspiration from Bill McMillan. Oh, and, okay. uh, You know, yeah, all those, you know, all those, uh, you know, my our other buddy Mark Sandlin, um, he mentioned that, you know, we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, of the the Steelhead yeah. era. You've got Bill McMillan's, your Harry Lemire's, your, um, yeah, just all those guys, your Hague Browns, those guys, you know, they they innovated, they learned, they observed, and we're just you know, Todd was just a, a Todd's kind of like one of those guys. He's kind of the the connection. I mentioned to Todd, he's the connection back to the era where guys really knew how to fish, um, without without the assistance of all the new technology that we might use these days. Um, and so when when Todd mentioned that dry line uh, winter fishing, I thought I got to try that sometime. Um, yeah, and hmm. I do fish you know, um, dry lines in the winter, um, you, you have to use, uh, heavy irons to, to get the fly to sink down. Um, and you have to really edit the water, uh, because, you know, winter flows are faster, um, you know, and they end up being shorter if you're winter dry line fishing, as far as the, the fishing areas that you can, you can effectively fish. Um, and you have to require, yeah, there's mending, um, there's, you know, really keeping an eye on your line, um, I guess, fishing the swing properly. So it, it takes, I think it takes a little more skill. It's, yeah. it's a lot, <clears throat> there's a lot more stuff going on than just putting on a tip, starting at the top and then swinging it down. Yeah. You know, you really have to pay attention. And, and once you do get a grab, um, it's the, the bigger iron is more difficult to really set the hook into a, a steelhead. You know, if you have a smaller, sharper iron, well, you know, we'll fish sharp irons, but um, smaller hook, those go right into the hinge, you know, um, but the bigger irons are a little more difficult. You really have to set into the fish. So mm-hmm. you're really challenging yourself. You Another, uh, you know, it's a mindset again. Like, do I really want to, you know, get this fish on a dry line in winter when it's cold and I could really, you know, spend more time catching fish and yeah. then being at home and, you know, hot cup of coffee but it's fun it's again it's a challenge and maybe um but i do i do um fish uh dries in the winter and then um because i tie 
Atlantic salmon flies. Um, every once in a while, I'll put on a light sinking polymeter because Atlantic salmon flies, they don't sink. There's just too much material on there to fish on a dry line. Uh, so, you know, and friends will give me Atlantic salmon patterns to fish. And so there's no way I can catch a steelhead. Well, it's yeah. highly, highly improbable to catch one on there when it's just fluttering on the surface, you know, of the water. Um, yeah. So, but That's time cool. and place, or maybe if I get lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you, and are you, you know, you're talking about the irons and maybe we can dig into that a little bit, like the, the flies, the size of the hook and things, but are you, you know, is it, is the first thing, the water, you know, you're targeting water, say more in tail outs or shallower water, or is there more to it than that as far as how you're getting them on, on, I mean, and on the surf or well, we're talking dry line. So how far below the surface do you think your fly is? Yeah, and it all depends depends on the, the push of the water and where you're fishing. Again, you know, you, you step into a, a pool and you look at the water, um, you know, at the, the top of the pool, you'll have the, the flow coming in, that choppy water. Uh, and Todd and I, Todd likes to call it the armpit, like in that corner, you know, where the where the water comes yeah. in at the top of a riffle. There's that soft area there that, will, that steelhead, you know, will nose into um, and kind of rest. Um, and winter steelhead, they're moving fish. And so those little pinch points are great places um, for any for any kind of winter yeah. steelheading. But especially that armpit, um, you know, it's uh, for dry line fishing. You can get that iron in there and let it sink and dangle. And then as you, you, you kind of look for, so steelhead, they'll move up. They, they don't want to fight the current. You know, they're, they're kind of moving up in softer areas. Um, and... If you look for those softer areas, whether at the armpit at the top of a riffle or down below, you know, they'll come up through a tailout and they'll rest, you know, um, on the side of a tailout. Um, it's hard to, to fish at the, you know, at the gut of a, of a run um, with winter steelhead because the, the flow is pretty quick. Yeah. So you kind of move quickly through that. Um, and that's when, you know, that's when the sink tips are, are more effective. Sink tip, um, to be honest, sink tips are way more effective uh, for winter steelhead yeah. um, than, you know, than dry line fishing. But uh, dry line fishing keeps me engaged in winter. Um, if I was fishing a tip, I think I might get a little bored. So, but I could be wrong. I haven't fished a tip regularly in quite a while. So. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you come in. So basically, if you're if you look at a run, you've got the riffle at the you know if the river's going from right to left, you know you're so yeah. you're on your river left and you're fishing this run, and you got the you know this riffle dropping down into where the pool starts, you know heading downstream, and the armpit is that little inside seam water. Is is that the the armpit? Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah, so you got that little water, and yeah, and that might be depending on the run. Yeah, you could have that little riffle right on the edge of the fast water, or even as it comes in, maybe it gets slower and slower. So I could see, you know, how I could do that. And then as you go through the run, you know, again, it picks up maybe some depth, some speed, uh, and then eventually you get to the tail out. So are you saying just your average run, you're hitting the top and then going down the tail out, or are you are you kind of just fishing the slack water all the way through? Yeah, you you'll try to fish the slack water, you know. Um... So on, on steelheading, like anything, um, it, you need steelhead because um, you need steelhead, a good number of steelhead to come in. Otherwise, you're just hoping to get lucky, you know, uh, with that one fish or two fish. Um, I think my, my best year dryland fishing, winter steelhead, there was a good winter return. And when the fish were in the water, um, you know, the more aggressive ones would take the better lies. And I, this is how I felt. The, 
the less aggressive ones um, would take certain lies that normally, you know, weren't um, steelhead holding water, but would be great for the dry line. And so I, I hooked uh, quite a bit of winter dry line steelhead that year. Um, now that, you know, at, at this point in time, you know, winter steelhead returns are kind of iffy on some of our waters. It's, it's a little more difficult. So you have to really focus on the best spots. Um, but it, I think it's just like any, I think it's the same thing with uh, dry fly fishing. You know, you want to concentrate, you know, at the heads of pools and the tailouts or any structure. So even in the gut of a pool, if you have structure there that seems like, hey, that might slow down a steelhead or, you know, that water looks a little different. I'm going to try to focus, you know, my dry line swing on that water. Um, and then you will you will cast differently. You know, sometimes I'll cast kind of upstream, back man, feed a little line, you know, just try to get that fly to sink down quickly hmm. and then swing, you know, right at the depth of where that rock is. Even though, you know, the water is going to push it, you will have maybe two or three seconds where that fly is in the zone of a steelhead. Um, you know, and in contrast, if you're fishing a sink tip, you're always in that zone, you know, or you're, all, you're more yeah. likely to be going a little longer. So, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how many seconds my fly will be in the zone i just as an example mine would probably be in the zone for about two seconds sink tip maybe you know five six seven eight seconds you know as you can slow yeah. that fly down even more so um yeah it's that's it's a game it's a yep. you know it's like a it's like a video game except in real life that's right <laughs> so yeah you're just I mean, basically yeah you got to choose your spots wisely and uh and yeah. you're yeah, the odds. I mean, you're making it harder. And then if you add a, a dry fly, right, especially in the winter, you're at the yeah. extreme. I mean, can you go, is there a more extreme level than that? Dry, dry fly uh, on the surface, dry line. Is there anything else you could do? I don't think so. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, I think that's why I gravitated toward it, yeah. Dave, because I didn't think there was any other way. I know what it is. Here it is. It's, it's, uh, it's all that, but instead you have a fly with no hook on it. So you just got to like get the feel. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And you know, the, the one of the two guys that, that, um, have done that. So Harry Lemire is a great inspiration, um, you know, of, of mine. Um, and also Lee Spencer, both those oh, yeah. guys, you know, have fished clipping their point off of their hook. Um, I think Lee Spencer got that, um, that idea from Harry Lemire, Lee Spencer, you know, on the North Umpqua, um, he's fished many years without a hook point on, and he just wants to raise fish. Um, and Harry Lemire at one point um, had risen so many fish that he clipped the, the hook point off. And he said, you know, he's just up for the rise. Everything else is just work, you know, hooking the fish and landing the fish. He just wanted to see the fish come up and, yeah. and rise to the dry fly. But that's about as, as wow. good, I guess, as you can get. And I don't, I, I don't think I'll ever achieve that because I really like to feel that fish, you know, bite and grab. Yeah. I, it's part of being a kid. I guess those guys have have uh, ascended beyond being a kid. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still a kid. Well, it's yeah. also that. I mean, for me too, and a lot of people. I mean, when you get a fish out there that's doing cartwheels on you, you know, you're you're that's that's oh yeah to yeah. feel. I agree. Um, you know, when you're fighting a fish and it's a tug of war, um, it, you have again that that weird sense of you know that hunter gatherer inside of you that you're like hey. You know, I, I need to land this thing. I want to see this thing up close. Um, you know, and, and you want to win that that battle. Uh, to as that as that hen is like jumping at the bottom of the tail out, cartwheeling, running upstream. 
that's that's kind of fun. If, yeah. if it's, you know, if it just comes in, I, we've all hooked fish that were decent sized fish, you know, and then yep. they just kind of come in, come strolling. Yeah. You're like, well, you know, that was like hooking yeah. a, a bass, you know, <laughs> not, not bass or, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, lots of bass, you hook them, they thrash around and then you just kind of reel them in. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, not. Yeah, I think we've all, or a lot of people, if you fish for steelhead, caught a few, you've had those moments where you get that fish in, you realize it's a hatchery yeah. fish, you see it, and then, you know, it almost escapes and you pounce on it. You, like, you know, jump <laughs> on it. And it's like this, yeah. or you, you know what I mean, or you throw it up on the bank. I mean, you're just, it is yeah. that hunter-gatherer, right? It is that, like, you are a predator, and you're you're not going to yeah. let that thing get away. Yeah. And, and true. And that I did that when I first, you know, landed those uh, first uh, hatchery steelhead. I yep. didn't know how to land a fish. So I threw my rod on the bank and I, you know, realized after I lost that first hatchery fish that I'm not going to try to grab its tail. I'm going to grab its whole body and put <laughs> exactly. on the bank. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, just like a kid, just like a yeah, kid. Yeah. But you know what? As, as you progress as an angler over time, you, you realize you start learning things. And I think that's uh, the difference. Um, you know, for most fly fishermen, they're observant, they're learning, um, they, they try to understand nature a little more, they try to fish a little more, they try to be respectful of their resources, um, and, uh, and respectful of other anglers, and it's, it's, it's tough sometimes, you know, um, we were just, uh, my buddy Todd and I were just on a desert river yesterday, we had a grand time fishing uh, dry flies, you know, cold temps, we'd wake up in the morning at 30s, in fact, I had like, you know, my sleeping bag was covered in frost, hmm. but we'd wait her up and we'd fish dry flies uh, early morning until late in the evening. Um, uh, and it was fun. We raised some fish. Todd <clears throat> Todd got a fish in, popped off at the, you know, as, as he was landing it. It was huh. pretty much landed. Yeah. I raised one. But as we were walking by, we saw one guy um, fishing, um, you know, like, kind of this big eddy. And we had walked past him early in the morning. And then when we came back, he was still there fishing that same eddy, and he hooked a big, nice fish um, as we were talking with him. And so we watched him land it. And then um, I asked him, like, you know, uh, what fly did you use? And he was like, oh, I was fishing a big streamer. And then in turn, he asked us what we were using, and we said, we're kind of idiots for the dry flies. So we were fishing dry flies. And he goes, well, you guys are using the wrong fly. <laughs> and Or he said, you guys are on the wrong river, I believe, you know, oh. kind of inferring that you know they're not going to come up to dry flies here yeah and so even with it within our little um, fly fishing community you know there's still there's still some people that you know um have their i guess are, are more outspoken about the preference uh yeah. you know whereas todd and i we like to fish dry flies we don't try to force it on people but no. we we do have more fun with it i think than, than most so yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. <laughs> we're weird in that sense i hear you yeah no, it, it's uh it's interesting because I haven't really, and that's why I'm interested. You know, I, I've never really dug into it that deep. And, um, you know, I think, I think it would be cool. I mean, I guess, yeah, you get to that level where you've caught enough fish and then you're kind of like, okay, well, let's, let's try something else. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you mentioned the heavy irons and getting back to that. If you're, if we're talking, you know, a dry line, what is it? What is a heavy iron? What, what is that? Like what hook are you using and how are you tying that fly? What does that look like? So, you know, uh, Bill McMillan um, wrote about using, um, you know, his, his Winter is Hope. Everyone or a lot of steelheaders know that pattern. Yeah. Um, and he tied that specifically to sink on a dry line. And the hook that he used um, was a, code, a partridge code M, um, which is uh, discontinued. Um, 
you have to find it, you know, um, from your buddy's um, yeah. old you know, fly tying desk or what on eBay or whatever, whoever makes those hooks or sells those hooks, I should say. Um, and it's a heavy iron. Um, you know, you really have to sharpen the iron um, and uh, uh, the gap on it is huge. Um, uh, but it sinks. It's effective. Um, and it's it's you know, there, there's also that that thought that, you know, people are concerned about um, braining a fish. You know, if, if you get that big iron, it's going to go into their head and you're going to kill the steelhead. Yeah, I haven't had I haven't had that happen to me um, because, you know, on the swing. Uh, most of the time, the hook slides into the corner of the jaw. Um, however, I also haven't hooked and landed a lot of them on that code M iron. So, um, you know, I, fortunate for the steelhead, unfortunate for me. Um, they, you know, you swing that iron, I get a fish grab, it takes off, and it's just it's a long shank, it's heavy. The fish has got a lot of leverage, and yeah. plus you're you're pinching the barb. So if it jumps, head shake, that iron most likely comes off, huh. you know. Is, is this um, like a um, a big, like a three-aught, big giant hook? Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, it all depends on what kind of water you're fishing. So a three-aught to five-aught. Okay, so um, yeah, yeah, these, these are big, yeah, these are gigantic hooks. And, and, yeah. uh, and, then, and so there isn't a current hook out there that there isn't a company that makes that similar hook? Not, no, nothing out there wow. that has that kind of weight. Um, you know, I know... <clears throat> I put caught. Excuse me. Early morning, man. I'm not. I'm not used to early morning interviews. Oh, yeah, or I'm not all, used to it. At all. <laughs> all good. <laughs> but yeah. Um. So the I've caught winter steelhead dry lining on blue heron um, hooks. Uh, Dave McNeese yeah. hooks. Um. And those are pretty good. Um. And as well as uh, the Alec Jacksons. Um. Those have some weight to them. Uh, again, it, it's. You have to really edit the water, and if you tie on those hooks, they're much lighter than uh, the Code M irons. So you can't you can't like put dubbing on that thing. You can't put a bunch of marabou on those things because they'll they they won't sink as as quickly as a Code M. And so, oh, yeah. whereas a Code M, say you're fishing, uh, you know, a a primo zone two to three seconds with a blue heron, you're in there for like maybe one second. Cause that current's just going to push that hook up, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, when I was, when I was catching them on blue herons and Alec Jackson's, it was a good return year. And I think the f- fishing was conducive for dry line. Um, and yeah, editing the water. I, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of water on certain rivers that you can, you can fish a blue heron and get plenty of sink or and again, the conditions too, Dave, if, if it, water's warming up, you know, and there's a fresh push of water, fresh push of fish. Water's warming up, but the water's dropping. Um, they'll come up. Uh, they'll come up and and slam a fly. Uh, yeah. You know, in the upper portion of the water column. So, you know, there's. In the I wouldn't lose. Yeah, in the winter, I wouldn't lose hope at all. I'd keep fishing those irons, but I do prefer the codems. Uh, okay. I I prefer actually the Fiat codems. Uh, smaller. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. if you can find it, I, you know, I I should. I shouldn't have said that because now everyone's going to go buy the three out code. I was going to say, yeah, you're, you're, you got uh, right now thousands <laughs> of people that are going to be, uh, you know, well, a smaller percentage of those will probably be trying out what we're talking about here, but there will be a few. <laughs> so uh, I should, I should preface before you buy the code M winter dry fly fishing is, is super productive, right? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, we're getting, I think we're getting the gist of this. It's interesting because, you know, and you mentioned editing water, which I want to touch on as well, but, um, 
you know, this hook again, in my, my experience, I remember, um, way back, I've talked about this before, but, um, my first trip to the BC, I met this guy just online again, right? The online space. Amazing. Um, and he, and he said, here's big, I think his name was big red or whatever, but you, you gotta use these hooks. And he had these gigantic three aught, four aught steelhead flies. And they were kind of like, it was basically like a big egg sucking leech. And he yeah, actually yeah. had his thing was he tied this head out of thread and he used like some lacquer. So it was just, it looked like it was this bullet shaped, but it was a huge hook. And I was like, wow, this is the biggest steel hook I've ever used. And it yeah. worked great. It, it worked really. Awesome. Oh man. It was such a great, it was just, a, it was basically a huge egg sucking leech, but I think that's why it was a heavier hook. And I'm not sure if it was a partridge. I think it was a partridge hook. I'm not sure if it was the yeah. code M. Um, yeah, it could have been a code N, you know, it's a, it's a lighter wire. Yeah, I think but, it was yeah, the they, lighter one. I think it was a little because it wasn't like, so is this code M, this is a like, well, and then here's, so, so that's one question again, code N, code N, but also why not just throw some weight on your, on your fly? Is that not, um, yeah, no, that's, you know, that's very, that's a, that's another thing that you can do. Um, I've, uh, tried, um, you know, before, so I, for me, it's because I, I like tying classic patterns i like uh, sticking to the patterns i don't like changing up the patterns uh, i don't like being too creative anymore um there i think there's enough classic patterns out there that um warrant some attention uh, you know and a challenge as far as tying so for me being creative it's just uh you know and some guys might you know I, some of them, I'm, a lot of my friends are very creative tying but yeah. there's enough classic patterns out there that i want to challenge myself with that you know putting every piece of material that is called for in that pattern um and so that kind of keeps me away from adding you know weight to a hook because uh mm -hmm. then it's not a, a classic pattern but gotcha. you definitely can add weight um i have actually tried you know putting weight on the shank of a hook like wrapping um, um lead around it and then tied a classic pattern over it big, big fatty um it, yeah but it doesn't you know on a dry line, it doesn't swim properly mm. because it's so heavy. It doesn't kind of, uh, you know, that, that hook doesn't move in the current because no. it's, it's kind of, it yeah, it, it looks like, yeah, it, it sinks and it looks like a rock. Yeah. And as it's swinging across, you know, the, the feathers move. But yeah, again, it, again, to be honest, I don't think it really matters. It's more a thing to the angler. Yeah. I mentioned before, I, I don't think steelhead are that smart. In fact, we were just uh, on the river and an old timer that used to fish with Harry Lemire, he was comparing our brains and pounds and ounces versus a steelhead's brain, you know, <laughs> which is, you know, they're not that smart. They're reactive. You know, they'll, they'll eat a stick. They'll yeah. eat a rock. Um, yeah. they'll, it, they'll smash anything that's in their way or if they feel like it. So I think those little subtle movements, they, they keep the angler engaged. Uh, they keep them fishing with confidence. The fly it is uh, yeah. at least. So that that easier cast, well to right too. Yeah, easier cast. Absolutely. You don't want to get frustrated no. um, steelhead fishing. Steelhead yeah. fishing is frustrating enough if you think that you're going to catch a lot of fish or get the get the fish. It's a mindset, you know, and yeah. you, you can't be frustrated. You, you got to so. at least enjoy. That's the thing I think about the the steelheading is that you know, in the casting. I mean, it's like you better enjoy casting every time yeah right? do you feel when you're out there casting you know and i'm not sure exactly we can talk more about what you're casting but do you feel like when you go out there every time you go out you're, you're getting a little bit better or, or are you at some you know level you eventually are just like man i'm i'm just i'm as good about as good as i'm gonna get 
Yeah, and that's a that's a very good question. Um, I don't think um, I'm as good, and I, I don't think I'll ever achieve that. There are just some guys that are gifted with the way they cast, the way they can, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously, the competition casters are yeah. amazing. Um, I, you know, they set the bar high, um, and I try to do my best, but for me, there's so many, you know, I, I, I we mentioned Todd. Todd's Todd's a great caster. Todd, uh, my buddy Todd, mm-hmm. he can pick up any rod from a switch rod to a, you know, a 15 footer to a, you know, mid-size rod. He can fish a long belly. Um, he can single hand and, uh, he has that ability to move from one rod to another. Um, I, I can't do that. I, you know, I, I have three bamboo rods and I stick with just the three of them because I know if I add anything different it screws up with my casting that's right and even yeah even though i have fun um like uh, you know i i was fishing my um 11 foot five um bamboo my james reed rod on uh, this past couple days and i had fun with her uh, she was a blast but i still struggled you know sometimes you know there's just too much slack uh there's too much stick in the water sometimes the wind comes at me differently and uh i just you know things like that little yeah. tiny things i think similar to those guys that are into golf you know i mean oh, yeah. you've got you've got those great golfers they still struggle they still need coaches That's um, right. in fact uh, this past summer i had to uh i asked rick harrington richard harrington to you know show up on the river and help me with my cast because you know for some reason i wasn't doing you know the proper thing and i wasn't achieving the results i wanted and so and he was you know he was gracious enough. He didn't. He thought I was joking around, and I, I said, "No, man, I'm really struggling with my cast. I'd been casting the same rod, the same line setup for, I, I think, seven or eight years, never changing anything. No, um, you know, and for like a month, I couldn't cast it. Yeah. Um, and it, the reason was, I, I believe, Dave, was I picked up my daughter's rod. Oh, right. Yeah, a graphite rod, and for some reason, it changed the way I was casting, you know, just that brief time. We were on the North Umpqua, I picked up a rod to kind of show her something and then, uh, you know, cast it for maybe 10 casts and that just threw my mechanics off. So, yeah, I'll never I'll never achieve that point where I'm as good as I can be at casting. Yeah. Um, and the same thing, too, with, with steelheading. I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, um, Todd and I were discussing the various dry fly takes, you know, and that's what we enjoy so much. Um, the fishing's kind of the same, you know, we, we, we target the same types of water, we target the runs, we, we look at the gauges, we, you know, we look at, you know, when the river's busiest and when it's not and the temperatures. Um, so those are, you know, those are kind of standard for dry fly fishing. Uh, but what's different every time is how the steelhead reacts to the dry fly. You know, we've had the follows, the mm. shark attacks, the big toilet bowl flushes, <laughs> the little, you know, the, the little trout rise where you're like, okay, there's my dry fly swimming across and you just see a little dimple. Um, and you think, oh, that's just a trout and mm-hmm. you set up on it and it's a big fish, you know? And yeah. so those are, those are the things that keep things exciting for us, the different, uh, ways that steelhead come up and eat. So, yeah, but yeah, I don't think I'll ever get to the point. My casting will be great. So I have to enjoy and be content with yeah. what it is now. Just keep trying to improve on it. That's cool. No, it's awesome. And I, I forgot about that too. Yeah. I mean, you've got the bamboo, so you've got pretty much all of the, you know, I'd call it the extreme, you know, stuff. I mean, it's amazing too. I mean, maybe we talk a little bit about that just first with the line. So for winter fish, we're talking winter steelhead. Are you just fishing your normal dry line that you would be fishing for summer steelhead? Yeah. 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 I would be. 
Um, I'm using, um, for my winter ride, I was using a fall favorite 45. And then um, uh, a buddy guide of ours, Mark Schamberg, mentioned um, that James Reed likes um, Rio Steelhead Scandi lines on his rods. And he was uh, generous enough to let me borrow his for a while. And I started casting that on my winter rod. And it's got enough drainage to throw over a big, heavy iron. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a Scandi rod. Uh, I, I think it's like in the mid-30s as far as uh, how long it is. Yeah. Um, and I, I will... Uh, put on a long leader, a long mono leader on it. Um, maybe about, uh, 15, oh, you know, yeah. 15 feet. Big long one. Uh, yeah. So that, that, and it turns over the fly. And so with that long leader, that long leader kind of cuts into the water. Um, and then the scan line will kind of keep it on the surface, you know, um, well somewhat on the surface. So I've had, I've had plenty of friends that tell me, Hey, why don't you use those? You know, those, um, I don't even know what they're called. They're like, different sink lines or you know shooting head i don't know what they're mm. called um you mean not, but not, I, not, not the the poly leaders not the poly leaders no but the heads are like multi-density heads oh right you know, yeah, and yeah. So where there's an intermediate and a sink and intermediate and yeah and they said yeah you'll get down a little deeper you know and they're they're super helpful and generous because uh, all my friends want me to catch steelhead for some reason or winter steelhead yeah but I, for me uh you know, if I if I hook one on those on those lines, those multi density heads, uh, I, I feel like it's not you know dry line fishing. You know, you're trying to get down and slower. So yeah. it's a uh, it's and and plus I've hooked I've hooked plenty of winter steelhead on on sink tips, and so it's you know it, it's not some sort of like whoa I caught a fish. You know, even though it's fun, I, I want to catch one on something different. I think one of my more remarkable winter steelhead fish, um, I was uh, fishing my home river. And I had tied up a code N yeah, um, iron. Uh, I tied a, a pattern called, um, gosh, it's a Traherne pattern. Traherne, Major Popkin Traherne or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some name I can't mm-hmm. remember his first name. This was back in the, the glory days of Atlantic Salmon tying. Oh, okay. Um, he, yeah, he had this pattern um, that, you know, was pretty exquisite. Um, and so I tied that in hand and I thought, you know what? Uh, I bet no one's ever fished this pattern on this river. And I was able to hook and, and, uh, get a fish in on that pattern. And so, you know, just using the dry line without, you know, sinking head, just editing water. And so, you know, it makes it funner for me that way. I don't think it's this, uh, I don't think it would be fun for everyone, but it, you know, for me, oh, yeah. it's a neat thing. Yeah. So funny. yeah, just, uh, just my regular, just my regular Scandi shooting heads for winter. Yeah. All um, right. And, and then what was the, in the name of the rod, the bamboo rods you're using? What was oh, um, yeah, James Reed. Um, James yeah. Reed is out, out of the Campbell River in BC. Um, and he's a, he's an awesome dude, awesome rod builder and a pretty dang good, um, you know, fly tire, although we don't see many of his flies anymore. But, hmm. um, yeah, he makes, you know, there's a lot of fantastic bamboo rod makers yeah. out there, but yeah, there are. I've, uh, I've got, I've got three of his rods. Um, one of them I, I got um, off the classified section of spay pages, oh, off nice. of spay pages. Um, and that was my first one. Um, and I was just uh, enthralled by it. That first rod has caught more. Uh, that first rod has caught many steelhead, many dry fly steelhead. Uh, so do you feel that, um, you know, I think, and I haven't used any really spay bamboos, but I just think of the, the trout bamboos. I mean, you, they're obviously the feel 
is a little more, um, at least my experience is noodly, softer. I mean, it, are those rods, is that the difference is that you get more feel compared to say uh, some of these other, because there are some nice graphite rods that, that make a really uh, softer rod too, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, and it, uh, there's even glass rods nowadays that are pretty oh, right. good too. Yeah, but, yeah. there's just, you know, I, I, I just, I appreciate the craftsmanship uh, of uh, the bamboo rod makers, you know, and the time and effort they put into it. Um, but, you know, to be honest, the first time I fished the, the bamboo spay rod or two-hander, um, I was coming from a Scandi rod, you know, yep. quick, light tip, you know, Scandi casting, and then picked up the, the rod, the James Reed rod off the spay pages. And I did not think i would like it you know i was on the river i was casting it and i was like holy smokes i think i made a mistake you know buying this rod off of that guy um but it was just because i didn't know how to cast a bamboo rod at that point i was trying to cast myself instead of letting the rod cast the line um but as soon as i spent time with the rod uh it it worked its magic and i realized it's a great powerful tool um it's a fun tool and it fights fish amazingly. That's right. Um, Better probably. And you get, yeah, and I, you know, James Reed um, mentioned, I think, one of his quotes was, um, oh, well, I'm not even going to say it because I'll misquote yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. But we could put it in the show notes <laughs> if, you, if we get it right. Yeah. 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 I'll try to, I'll try to put it in the show notes. But yeah, uh, yeah you, you, you know, you, you get that cast, you know, and then you're swinging that line and you're holding that rod. And then the fish grabs, and then that rod, you know, bends all the way to cork using all its power fibers. You bring that fish in, and then you have that, uh, you have that, um, that bamboo action, you know, preventing that fish from breaking that that tippet, you know, um, that you see a lot with like fast action rods, or you know, it's just it's got the cushioning effect, I think, as you're landing the fish, um, you know, and obviously it's bamboo, so you know, it's got some it's got some things that. You don't want to be high sticking bamboo. You don't want to throw your bamboo on the rod bank. Uh, you, you know, you want to be aware of it. Um, yeah. But if you fish with it enough, you know how to handle it. Yeah. Um, you know how to land fish. How, how do you transport it when you're, if you're going, if you're fishing around? Is there a. Is oh, it, yeah. yeah. It's a, yeah. Um, uh, same way, you know, I have a rod tube and I use that. But when it's, uh, when it's put together, just a rod, just a rod uh, rack, roof topper or whatever, uh, I use a sumo. Yeah, sumo? I use a sumo. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, a sumo rod rack, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. what it's called. Sure. It, it works fine for me. It's a it's adjustable, you know. And I've taken the the bamboo rod and plus the the reel on it, um, you know, on dirt roads. I've gone, you know, sixty miles an hour, maybe sixty five, just to test it. On um, the outside. You know, which, just on the on the road. on the outside. Or on the hood. On the road. Yeah. Yeah. So That's it's, cool. Yeah, it it does fine. Um, you know, yeah. I. I mean, I haven't had too much worry about it. Well, once in a while, I'll be concerned, you know, if, if you're on a gravel road and there's like probably logging trucks, you know, going oh, yeah. by, they, they kick up a rock and, then, you know, it'll hit your vintage reel or oh. hit your bamboo rod. But, you know, those are those are things that, you know, can worry you, but I, it's not been a problem so yeah. far. Cool. Um, yeah. And, and I really love casting. No, it's awesome. Uh, it's I would love to dig more and maybe maybe down the line, if we can get you back on, we'll, we'll dig more into some of the the equipment and stuff, but maybe we just finish this off. We yeah. talked a little about the lines and the rod. So, so real wise, what, what's your, what's your, your reel that's set up with that, um, that rod? 
Um, so I have a so my winter rod. Yeah. Um, I have a, a Barlow's Perfect um, style reel. It's just a. Uh, it's an awesome beast. Uh, so with the with the bamboo rods, you know, depending on how big they are, you really have to match it with a a heavy reel to just mm. balance it out. Yeah. And it's a it's got a beautiful growl to it. And when the fish grabs and takes off on yeah. a so on a run, the loud. growl becomes a scream. Yeah. So it's a it's a neat experience, especially in winter. You know, if I'm fishing a you know wet fly and it's you know you're cold. It's in the afternoon, uh, you know, and you're thinking, man, you know, after this run, I'm going in and having a, you know, a nice cup of coffee or maybe a, a whiskey to warm yeah. you up. Um, and then, you know, you're sitting there cold. You're standing in the water. The water's, uh, you know, your line's slowly swinging and all of a sudden the fish grabs and you hear that pitching growl and then it starts screaming. It just wakes you up, you yeah. know, warms you up on the inside. So that's a Farlow Perfect. Yeah, what, what, the the other- what was the brand? Oh, it's a Farlow's. Um, okay. It's an old reel. I'm pulling it off the shelf right now. Yeah. C Farlow LTD, okay. uh, London. So, oh, right, right. Cool. So, uh, yeah, this is, and this is, this thing's clicking, uh, like, slowly the fish is starting to eat it. it you're, it's clicking. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll click, 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 click. And yeah. when the fish feels it, the fish is like, I, I don't like the sound, or I don't like the feel of this hook, yeah. you know, and it takes off and it just goes, you know, it's. Can you turn off, can you turn off the sound on it? No, 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 I, I don't, think I can, that's interesting. I'm not smart. Enough. I, 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 I find myself sometimes because I mean, I, I guess that's my competitive nature, but sometimes if it's especially at a busy spot, I'll, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll make sure I'll, I want to be quiet because sometimes you can land fish without people knowing you even yeah. have fish on. No, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, my buddy Todd has a way that he's able to disengage the Pauls. Um, you know, cause he, he'll fish town, his town run and he doesn't want anyone no. to know that, that, you know, I mean, he's got, he's got hardy perfects and, and, uh, you know, other loud reels like young, youngs and stuff like that. And they're loud. And so when you're in town and, you know, people are around, you definitely want to be incognito. So he's, he's got a way he does it. Um, I don't know how to do it. So I just, yeah. uh, I just stick with it. And plus that when I fish, there's not many people around. And no. if there are people around, I don't go there. Exactly. I go somewhere else. That, that's what you need to do. That's cool. Cool, Adrian. Well, we're going to get out of here pretty quick. I just wanted to start. Um, I think this is the perfect time to wrap it up. I have this, uh, the 222 uh, top two flies tips and resources that I like to wrap things up with. And we've already been talking, you know, we haven't dug into the Titan hand. I think maybe we'll have to leave that to the next time. Um, I, Cause I think that's pretty, a whole nother amazing, I think, way, way yeah. you're bringing this down to, you know, this this old. I, I can't think of it as an old school level, right? You're kind of uh, bringing it back, but but what about flies? So what is your two? If it's winter time, you're fishing a dry line, you're going out there on your on your water. What two flies are, are you bringing? Oh, okay, well, can I preface this uh, with a just a snide remark? But Dave, why do we have to talk about winter flies? It's still fall steelheading right now. That's true. But anyway. That's true. Well, the reason the reason being is that the great thing about this is that even though right now it's um, 2020 November, it, it right yeah. now could be 2025. The person that's listening to this, and it could be yeah, you're and it could be right. January. <laughs> I just I just wanted to put it in there that I yeah. prefer dry flies. But... <laughs> or did I say did I say 2005 or did I say 2025? I, I'm I'm not talking about time traveling, but yeah, we're talking. No, I... Yeah. This is, um, that's amazing about the podcast. I mean, I still occasionally listen back 
to episodes because yeah. I started this thing in 2017. And, yeah. Oh, and it's wow. evergreen. It's evergreen content, man. I mean, the people that are listening to this for years, these things will be out there. They'll be like, oh, my God, Adrian, this guy, I've never even heard of anybody fishing dry flies. Look at this guy. And you know what I mean? For the first time, somebody's going to hear that. Well, you know, and and uh, as for me as a fan, um, you know, when you had John Gearock on your show, he was a big inspiration to me to start fly fishing. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah. So I, I listened and I was I saw that and I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to take a listen to this. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, um, so my, my winter flies, um, because I tie classic patterns and I mentioned to you that classic patterns, they have so much material on there that they're hard to sink. I actually have to edit my classic patterns or not mine, but the classic patterns to see which has the, the least amount of materials in which I can create or, or subtract materials from just like one or two fibers, even though I have all the materials in there uh, to let them sink um i i like uh rogan patterns michael rogan um he was uh you know uh, he was the, the one of the greatest hand tires uh, or tires in hand you know back in the, in the day um but his materials have a lot of stuff to it so i really have to make sure that i don't put too much on those patterns um right now i'm really i'm really excited about tying the silver rd uh, which um, is a pattern that uh, it's a mixed wing. So I think a lot of your viewers probably are, are not too aware of a classic um, Atlantic salmon patterns. Yeah. Uh, but the RD or the mixed wing patterns are really great because they're not married. I, I believe married wings have less uh, movement in the water oh, yeah. because it's kind of a stiff wing, you know, um, even though they'll still catch fish. I've caught fish yeah. on married wings in the winter. Um, but the mixed wing patterns, the, the fibers aren't married, so they're, they're kind of undulating. They're independent of each other as you're slowly trying to slowly swing it across the water. The silver RD is one. Um, is because that RD like, long. how do you spell RD? Oh, it's A-R-D-E-A. Oh, okay. And I, I'm going to tie it pretty soon here. Um, I, I was gifted um, an iron, a code N iron um, that was from... Harry Lemire's own tying kit. Oh, wow. um, and so I, I've been holding on to it for a few years, trying to, you know, figure out what pattern I really want to tie on it. So I'll, I'll be tying that here in the next, uh, next few days or the next week or so. Um, you know, and, and I'll use it for winter. The, the cool thing about it is, you know, not only is it going to be an Atlantic salmon pattern, but it's on Harry's hook yeah. and I will be fishing it dry line. So it's not going to snag up and I'm going to lose it on the rock, you know, Hopefully not, at least. Hopefully that's it right. won't take too that, That's the other big advantage. Well, I mean, I guess it's not a huge advantage because snake. Your you know, loss of flies. Yeah, yeah. yeah losing flies because it does happen. But yeah. So, yeah, the silver RD and Rogan patterns, there's so many different patterns. I, I don't, you know. Yeah. And I like uh, I like Bill Bill McMillan's Winter's Hope. It's super effective. It's a, it's a steelhead fly for sure. Northwest steelhead fly. It's not Atlantic salmon pattern. So. It's, it's built for, you know, my rivers in the area. It's designed for that. Um, but I haven't tied it. I, I think, um, you know, I haven't tied it because I, I have the, uh, the classic Atlantic salmon patterns to tie. Um, yeah. You know, I kind of gauge things like, you know, which, which is more challenging. Um, I think uh, one year, I, well, not one year, but a few years ago, I tied um, Sid Glasso's orange heron, yeah. Sid Glasso, another giant of our oh, yeah. steelheading history. Um, but I wanted to catch a, a fish in the uh, in the Olympic Peninsula rivers on a, a Sid Glasso orange heron on a dry line, and 
you know, I was able to hook one hmm. um, on a yacht. So, uh, yep. so I, I don't tend to go back once I've done it, you know, on a pattern, I don't tend to go back to it. It doesn't become a favorite pattern. What happens oh, with gotcha. those patterns that I, I just, I put it on my, on my board, you know, I have like this, this, uh, board of, of flies because each fly that I've hooked, it reminds me of a specific time and, and, and the conditions of when I hooked that fish. Um, so That's yeah, cool. I actually, it, Right now, I'm staring at that orange heron I tied, oh, wow. you know, I think four years ago. I'll probably never tie another orange heron, you know, unless huh. someone begs me to tie one. But. How many flies are on that board? Oh, man. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, could, could, you t- could you take a picture of it? And c- is that something we could post so we could see what it looks like? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I for sure can. I will, cool. I'll take a picture of it. Yeah, and it's not all, you know, I've caught, uh, you know, there's other flies, too, that I've hooked fish on, but they're not remarkable patterns, you know, yeah. I mean, it's nothing that, so the, the patterns I put on that board are patterns that mean a lot to me. It's funny because uh, a lot of them, it, it starts off as a lot of uh, classic Atlantic salmon patterns, wet flies, and then it's being overtaken by dry flies, you know, yeah. and not the same dry flies. They're all, they're all different dry flies because I want to catch something, catch a fish with a different pattern as much as I can. Yeah. Although, I mentioned the two winter flies. I, I gotta say, Dave, I gotta mention my my two favorite flies that I'm fishing uh, for for dry fly fish in the oh, summer, yeah. and it's it's gotta be. Um, I'll stand by this. It's the I think the greatest steelhead fly ever made, ever created, uh, was Harry Lemire's grease liner. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that's a number one. It's it's a it's a dry fly, you know. And Harry was someone that observed the water and designed his flies um, in such a way. Um, that they would work well. And I think the grease liner being, you know, the icon that Lemire is, uh, the grease liner, you can use it anywhere. I've cut, I've, you know, you can hook huh. fish anywhere, on any, any river with a grease liner. Yeah. So I, I just think that's the greatest uh, steelhead a, uh, drive a great, fly. Uh, it's a great kind of a, it's a really natural, right? I mean, there's not a lot of color yeah, on it. Super natural. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll probably make some people upset because you have the Sid Glassos, uh, you know, awesome tires, yeah. you know, the Dave McKisses. But I got to say, you know, you put up like a, a the orange heron, um, which is a beautiful wet fly versus a dry fly. I'm going to say, hey, man, the dry fly's got to win every time. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's just me, though. I, oh, for yeah. for um, campfire fodder, you know, between yeah. friends. <laughs> cool. Um, All right. And so I, got, I think the other yeah. one. Yeah, I think was the, the other one. one sorry, I, uh, you've got to you've got to pay homage to Roderick Haig Brown's steelhead yeah. beat. It it's just a great pattern. It's tough to keep afloat. It's tough to fish properly, um, and that's the one I'm using a lot these days. Just because I think it's it's more challenging, you know, to keep it on the surface and to keep it fishing proper. So I really enjoy that pattern. So that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. man, I kind of carried away. No, that's amazing. I love fly. I I love that you did that. I love that you. I mean, because again, this is to me, it feels like a really traditional you know we're paying homage to the people before us and you just said talked about some of the most important people in in the steelhead in the history and i and that's part of the reason i do this podcast i'm trying to document some of this so i love i love those stories um yeah and i try to you know you got we got to give a nod to those before us that you know really you know hit the rivers and they were the ones that i guess uh laid the groundwork for the proper way to steelhead um and uh, you know, over the course of time with technology advancing and with the internet, uh, you know, things change. Um, but I think if we can, 
dial it back a bit and try to do it the, the right way. Um, and I'm not saying dry fly is the right way or winter dry line right. is the right or way, a, but, but yeah. yeah, just to, just to intruder. have the proper mindset. Yeah. And, and, you know, intruder is okay, but just have the proper mindset and give, give credit where credit is due. You yeah. know, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's cool. It's, uh, well, let, let's keep going on that. So we got, so we got your flies and the, what about, uh, you know, some tips? Let's bring it back to winter steelhead again. We'll just stick with the dry line, um, in, yeah. you know, fishing either, either a dry fly or just a wet fly. What, what do you have a couple of tips you give somebody who, if they're maybe going out, uh, you know, winter tomorrow to fish? Yeah. So, so for winter steelheading, you know, um, you, you really want to keep an eye, you know, here in the Northwest, you know, we have the weather systems that come in, um, if it's cold and clear and you're trying to fish the, uh, you know, a dry line, wet fly for winter, cold and clear is going to be tough. And I mm-hmm. think it's going to be tough everywhere. Um, even, you know, even with a sink tip, you have better chances with a sink tip. Um, what yeah. you want is a, a good push of water, a good, uh, you know, dump of precipitation. And you got to watch the gauges. You got to know the rivers. Um, you know, as, as soon as it's dropping and clearing a bit, you know, that, that helps the fish move up. Um, and with a dry line, um, when the water comes in, you know, you'll have the softer, a lot more softer areas, you know, on the edges, on the, on the margins of, of pools and runs and fish will come up and travel along those softer areas. Um, and even, even in, you know, I, we, I actually prefer like not so clear water. You know, if the water's clear, you know, the fish isn't going to more likely travel up those shallow areas. So if you got a little you know, color and winter water. Um, but it's, you know, it's come, the water's come up, you know, fish those soft areas or watch the gauges and watch the, the temps as well. I think I have had more, um, chances with a dry line or more hookups with a dry line, um, in late winter or early spring, you know, for winter steel. Um, you know, as the water temperatures warm up, uh, you know, um, and I don't, you know, you can fish if it's a mild winter, you can fish early morning and have good success, but I feel like around, I don't know, Dave, maybe yeah, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock say, things yeah. have warmed up. Yeah. And the fish metabolism is kind of moving. Again, there's so many factors. Uh, you know, you have to be fortunate. You have to be lucky. You have to be close to a river and, uh, you know, you got to be able to, to drop everything, you know, yeah. when that window opens up, which is not always great for responsibility <laughs> in life. No. <laughs> No, I, well, so, you said, you said, John Garrick, I, I got to go back to that one because I love the story. I, oh, I can't remember what book it was, but I talked to him about that. I asked John about, he had the story because John's writing, you know, his stories are his life, right? It's not like, he's, oh, yeah. but he had that one where he was, um, early, early in his life. I can't remember if it was his wife or whatever, but the roof was leaking, you know, and yes, but he had fishing to do. So he kept fishing and fishing. And finally he found this, I think there was a fish tank in the house. He just moved it over to catch the, the drip and solve the problem. And he was able to fish. He thought that was a fine, you know, a fine deal. I mean, we're kind of yeah. crazy, right? I mean, you're, we're steelhead fishermen. I mean, are, how crazy are we? Is that, is that like just normal stuff there? You know, I think as steelheaders, we, we feel like it's normal. Um, but I, the, you know, the people that aren't in our circle, they look at us and they, they probably really think that we're kind of a bit skewed, you know, in the brain. There's, yeah. there's just not something right. And uh, which is funny. Cause I, I mentioned uh, that story to my wife about John gear. Oh, cool. and, and my wife's not, yeah. My wife's not a steelheader at all or a fisherman, you know, she's fished with me a few times, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, she looked at me and almost with that look of how irresponsible is that, that you don't right. fix 
I know. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) I know it is. I'm I'm with you. That's cool. So, well, I interrupted you there on, um, so where were we at? So, well, you got, you had one awesome tip. I mean, just that, that one is humongous when to go. Um, would there be another tip you want to provide for again on that same line for with the dry line? Yeah. You know, um, with, with dry line fishing, uh, I think the biggest thing, Dave, aside from watching water levels and all that is is just to have the mindset that, you know, I'm going to enjoy this time editing water. I'm not going to gripe or get frustrated about not catching fish. I'm not going to, you know, receive texts from my buddies who hooked the fish here on this tip and, you know, and, you know, feel like I'm missing out on it. Um, Winter dryland fishing is a challenge. Um, it's it's not it's not for I I don't know it, yeah. it's it's something that you're called to you know that you really want to challenge yourself in. It's it's quite different from dry fly fishing in the summer for steelhead. Mm. I actually feel I fish better with a dry fly um, than with a wet fly oh, in wow. the summer. I actually, yeah, I actually think I can catch more fish with a dry fly uh, than a wet fly in the summer. Um, so. That's cool. uh, that's, versus that's winter, something. yeah, and that's just because of, of the experience I've had. And I'm not—I'm kind of pretty new to the game, but I've been fortunate to fish a lot of dry fly water in the summer to, to really learn and observe the fish behavior. Yeah. Uh, but winter dry line, I—you know—I there's no way, you know, and it's not about outfishing your buddies. It's about enjoying your time as the best way possible. It's about learning how to cast that iron, um, and it's. Uh, you know, and it's funner casting with a dry line, um, to be obvious. But yeah. these days, you know, with our with our technology and lines, it's actually fun as well to cast, you know, sink sinking lines uh, because we're so advanced now that you could pretty much cast sinking lines uh, just like you would a dry line. You know? Yeah, exactly. And so it's not, not a big. You you really, yeah. It's got to be someone that says, hey, you know, I want to challenge myself to do this, um, and stick with it for a winter. And yeah. and to be honest. You, you have to have fish coming in, you know, you, it's tough to start something that's challenging when there are poor fish returns, you know, because it, then you don't have that, you don't have that, that positive, um, you know, I guess reinforcement. That's the word. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, but yeah. again, some people, they're just fortunate. They're fishy people. They get in the water, they'll hook a fish. I had a, a fellow, um, a message me, you know, I was trying to help him you know, with a dry fly fishing in the summer and it's been a tough year, you know, for everyone. Yep. Um, but he got on the river, uh, you know, a well-known river here, uh, in our area and he was hooking dries, you know, uh, or hooking fish on dries, I should say, mm-hmm. steelhead on dries. He was having a blast and, you know, kind of on a down year. And so you never know, you know, yeah. you go out there and you just experience the unexpected and it's a fun deal. That's cool. So, yeah. Oh. I think, yeah, that's my mind. That's the mindset. Perfect. And, and I, before we get into just the kind of a, maybe a couple of resources for, for what we're talking about here, you, you mentioned editing water. Can you just clarify that terminology? What, what, what is editing? Is that, uh, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're, if you're dry line fishing in the winter, um, and you come upon a water, you know, a, a stream or a, a section of stream that is just flowing fast, uh, there's, you're just don't waste your time on it. Um, because, you're not going to be able to get your fly down in that water. You'll end up spending two hours in the cold weather um, in unproductive water. You know, a sink tip angler can see that water and can get their fly down and they can slow their swing because of their sink tip. Um, So they're able to fish that water. So as a dry line angler, 
you got to look at that water and then just chalk it up to like, hey, that sink tip water, I'm going to let the other dudes have that. And so, you know, you keep driving down the road or you float down the river and you look for the softer pools. Um, you look for structure. Um, you look for softer pools um, that will hold fish. Um, and, you know, and it takes a little bit of time. It took me a, a few years uh, to kind of figure out, you know, what really is good dry line water. Because in the wintertime, you know, it's cold. You don't want to spend three hours fishing unproductive water. You want to get in a good water right away and spend your three hours really fishing that water well. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that and that really is editing, you know. Um, yeah, just gotcha. Looking at water that your fly is going to swing slower at. Uh, you know, what, what kind of water? You don't want to obviously fish frog water. You know, that's not going to work for you. But you got to have some moderate flow, um, nice, nice soft chop. Um, you know, uh, you know, and again, we talked about water levels, uh, certain runs, you know, that fast, that fast shoot, um, might be different when there's a big push of water, you know, a big precipitation and the water level comes up, uh, and then it starts flooding the banks a little, and then it's softer in the banks. And then that might be the time to fish that fast water, uh, you know, run last week, you know, and then you show up this week and you're like, well, we got a big dump of rain. I'm going to go over there and it's fishing softer now. And, yeah. you know, that's cool. and uh, the other thing, spent some time on those rivers, you know, during low water years or maybe in the, in the fall or summer before the rains come looking at the structure, you know, in the, in the shallow mm-hmm. um, portions of the river, because in the winter, those will be, you know, have, will be covered with water. And then you can know where the depressions are where the rocks are and you know where the water um, will be softer in that area. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. Well, yeah. let's take us out of here with the uh, uh, and two resources. This could be book, magazine, video, anything you want to throw out there. And you noted, you know, spay pages. Obviously, that that's a, a, a really good resource. Anything else you you would note as kind of top two for dry line winter steelheading? Yeah, I mean, the, the number one resource for that is pretty much the you know dry line and dry fly steelheading bible. To a lot of us, is uh, Bill McMillan's uh, dry line steelhead. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it's a great book. It's great to learn, um, from a brilliant mind on how to fish. Um, he's got so much data on there. He's got temperature. He's, uh, he's got, he's got patterns that work well. I mean, he has experience, you know, I mean, me, uh, you know, and, and I'm super honored and humbled, uh, to be, you know, on your program. I, I'm just, I'm just a big fan, you know. I, I don't have the experience that these giants have, but Bill McMillan has put it in his book. He's such a gracious and generous guy. I think uh, if you want to get into dry fly fishing and, and winter dry line fishing, uh, Bill McMillan's book is, is probably one of the top you know, resources you can have. Yep. Um, uh, as far as in, inspiration-wise, I think uh, Todd Hirano's blog, mm-hmm. um, super uh, for resources just, and just to get a pep talk, you know, if you're feeling down, like, dang, I've spent what, like four weeks now trying for this winter steelhead. And I can't, you know, pop into his blog, read some of his old stories, um, his suggestions, you know, send a, send him a message. Cause that guy, he's like positive. He's like super positive, uh, beyond belief. I'm, you know, (laughs) I've, I've fished with Todd under many different conditions. And there's always hope with Todd, you know, yep. even though the conditions are ridiculous. I mean, I've been with him where he's raised fish where it's just, uh, you know, there, there's no way anyone should be fishing in these conditions. And he's raised steelhead or 
winter time. I think uh, two or three years ago, maybe two years ago, he almost raised and landed a fish on a dry fly every month of the year, almost, Dang. and yeah. only by a couple of days or something like that. Yeah. So wow. You know, again, I I go back to experience. He's got the experience. Bill McMillan has the experience, so I draw from that. You know. Yeah. And then the mindset. Um, and I think, uh, and lastly, I know you said two resources. Oh, yeah, I think you. just just for uh, the, the proper idea of what steelhead fishing is like and what it should be like is Haig Brown. Read a lot of Haig Brown books. Uh, Roderick Haig Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, uh, he's a great writer. Um, he's kind of like, a, I guess, like John Gearoff. He's a, you know, a writer first and then yeah. a, a fly fisher. And that's what Haig Brown was. He was, he was a writer and mm-hmm. steelhead captivated him. He spent a lot of the time on his home river, the Campbell River in BC, and he observed, you know, he fished different ways, you know, and it's it's really the way to be a, as a steelheader, you have to be observant. So Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Those are great resources to That's start awesome. off with. Well, you've been, I mean, you've been fairly, uh, you know, humble uh, you know, yourself as well, but I mean, you're out there, your name like I mentioned at the start, you know, is popping around a lot when it comes to dry fly fishing and what you're doing and I mean, it's you and Todd and you know, and, and Rick and the crew out there. I mean, you could write a book, right? Probably if you wanted to. Have you ever thought about doing something like, you know, down the line? I've, I've, I've had friends and, you know, suggest writing a book, um, you know, and I, you know, it's, I don't know how to go about that. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's tough. I, I have, the fun thing is I have so many neat stories um, and, and I always feel it's hard, you know, and the steelheading community is so huge. I mean, it's it's hugely generous and and friendly. I mean, for the most part, right? Uh, you know, online or in corresponding with each other and meeting yeah. each other, mostly on the river, we're we're super friendly to each other. Um, and so it's hard for me to to write a book, uh, because I don't know, man. I feel like everyone's already experienced it, you know. Yeah. But then again, I think, you know, most of the current generation, you know, they, they don't have that connection to that, that older era that has experienced the great steelheading, you know, in the past. Right. Um, you, know, you know, Bill McMillan wrote his book. Um, you know, there's, there's like articles from, um, you know, about Sid Glasso, Gary Lemire. Um, you know, I, I may someday, you know, write something about my experiences with Todd and, and yeah. Richard Hansen and and those other guys, because there's just fun stories, you know, fun, fun story. Steelheading not only revolves around the fish, it revolves around what goes around in steelhead camps, what goes around in flies and, and some things that might happen that is quite comical, you know? And so. Cool. Well, that's about all I have for you. I guess uh, if people want to check you out, they can go to, um, it was, uh, let's see on Instagram, right? Adrian Cortez steelhead. That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I found the, the quote from James Reed. You want oh, me to cool. say it now? Yeah, yeah let's go for it. So James Reed, a builder of bamboo rods, um, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, I quote him as saying is, you don't just feel the head shakes, you feel the heartbeat. And I thought, you know, oh, wow. I thought that was kind of a romantic way. And I, you know, it's, it's just a neat thing, that, you know, to feel the craftsmanship, but then to feel it at work as you're casting and finding yeah. a fish. It just, uh, it just beautiful things to you know enjoy on the river that is so. a, that is a killer quote and hey before we get out here to the um the tying in hand we're, we uh, didn't have time to dig into you know what you do there but are there you know if somebody wanted to watch videos or learn more about it where, where would you send somebody 
Oh, yeah. You know, I'll be honest. I think the best way, I, there's only one fella, uh, a wonderful tired friend, uh, Jin Woo Lee. He, um, he does videos, I believe, now of his tying in hand. Um, and okay. so that's, yeah, he's a, he's a great resource to, cool. um, to is that watch. Jin, is that Jin like the, Jin. the drink? J, J I N. Yeah. J I N and Wu Lee, uh, W O O and Lee L E E. Oh, yeah. Jin's awesome. He, um, uh, back in 2012, um, I think he and I, he started just a little before me tying in hand uh, around that same time I started tying in hand. Um, and he's, he's fantastic. I've, Try to do videos, but it's so hard because you know you're, uh, as opposed to a vice when you're when you're um, you know filming a vice that you know obviously the hook is just sitting there, but in tying in hand you're always moving. moving. So you know, yeah, did, Jin, Jin does a pretty good job, I think, of yeah. you know of doing some technique to it. So. Gotcha, gotcha. I was just gonna say the cameras are getting pretty uh, amazing. I mean, right? You got the GoPro, everything else, but um, yeah. Cool, man. Well, I'll let you get out of here. This has been awesome. Uh, appreciate all the, the tips and everything. And I think probably inspired at least a few people to, to give it a shot this winter. I think um, I think I'm going to I'm going to have a dry light in my in my satchel this year. Hey, awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. I'll let you know if I hook up, hook into one and uh, I'll thank you for it uh, later on. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, because we all, you know, are us dry line buddies, we all kind of inspire and instigate each other and, and you know, kind of, uh, I, I don't know, support each other in, in such a difficult arduous journey so exactly <laughs> cool man hey i appreciate the time i'll talk to you soon hey cheers my friend so there you go if you want to find all the links and show notes just go to wetflyswing.com slash 169 do you have a business and want to grow your online influence if you head over to my new show outdoorsonline.co um, you can track the journey of the launch of our next podcast. This is, uh, this is going to be a fun one. We're documenting the entire process of uh, getting a new podcast out on the road. And uh, you know what they say about, uh, about podcasters in general? If you've started a podcast, there's a really good chance that you can't stop at just one. Um, it's kind of this crazy, uh, funny thing. So, uh, so I'm on uh, getting ready for my third, uh, and th that's great. I'm excited about that. I uh, want to thank you again today for stopping by to check out the show. Uh, looking forward to catching up with you soon. Hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.